a blessing it is. Hope you've been enjoying Genesis. I've been enjoying uh, going through it with you guys. We come upon, again, we're in the life of Jacob right now here in Genesis chapter 29. We've come off the scene where he's, you know, um, deceived Isaac. He's disguised himself as Esau. And uh, the birthright fully, the blessing is Jacob's. Now, just as it was always meant to be, God's declared that from the beginning. Jacob did not have to operate in the flesh in order to bring about what God had already said he was going to do. That's a good lesson for us, isn't it? And it only brought some extra problems here. You know, uh, Rebecca, his mother, loved him greatly. But now Jacob's going to be sent off. It's going to be the last time he's going to see uh, his mother, Rebecca. There's certainly consequences from our actions and from our sin. And so it says in chapter 29, verse 1, as Jacob's being sent off, that Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. And he looked and he saw a well in the field. And behold, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it. For out of that well, they watered the flocks. A large stone was on the well's mouth. So now all the flocks would be gathered there and they would roll the stone from the well's mouth, water the sheep and put the stone back in its place on the well's mouth. And Jacob said to them, my brethren, hey, where are you from? And they said, we are from Haran. And he said to them, oh, Haran, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, yeah, we know him. So he said to them, is he well? And they said, he is well. And look, his daughter Rachel is coming with the sheep. Then Jacob looked, or uh, sorry, then he I lost my place here. Verse 6. Let me start that again. Verse 6. So he said to them, Is he well? And they said, He is well. And look, his daughter Rachel is coming with the sheep. Then he said, Look, it is still high day. It is not time for the cattle to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go feed them. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together. And they have rolled the stone from the well's mouth. Then we water the sheep. Verse 9. Now, while, while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. And it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Now, first of all, as we know, both Isaac and Rebekah had, had said, Jacob, it's time for you to move on. We don't want you to marry anybody from the, the, the land around us as Esau was doing and gathering wives that was not uh, fruitful there in the family home. So they're sending Jacob off, Jacob off to get a wife, similar to how Abraham sent his servant Eliezer, remember, to get a bride for Isaac. And he sent him there um, back in the land in, in Haran. And there it's Laban's sister, Rebekah, that was a bride for Isaac. So now Jacob is traveling. Now think about the travel that Jacob is doing from where he was going all the way up to the east, making their way right up to where Haran is in the top of the screen there or close to Haran. He finds a well in the field. Now this is just amazing because Jacob is just sojourning along and yet he ends up, how I don't know, he ends up just at the right place at the right time where there's a well in the field that people are gathering together and people from Haran are coming that way. This is remarkable to me. This is so incredible. It's been said that coincidence is not a kosher word. It's true. God is in control here of Jacob's life and leading him so amazingly. I mean, 
When I'm on a trip and I've got road signs every hundred feet telling me where to turn, I've got my Apple Maps with the voice telling me turn here, I still get lost with all of those things that are helping me, all these A's. I still can't find my way sometimes. And yet here's Jacob traveling out in the wilderness and just God so sovereignly and by his providential care is just directing Jacob exactly to where he needs to be. Don't you love that about our God? Aren't you so thankful and comforted in the fact that though we may not always know, how is this gonna happen? How is this gonna work out? God is in control and moving all things together according to his good and perfect plans. You can trust God to guide you and lead you to what he has for you. So when Jacob sees Rachel, coming there with the sheep she's a shepherdess and Jacob is just I think stunned at Rachel and the beauty he's talking with the the guys that are at the well there already he's like hey why don't you come and gather your your flocks it's kind of like he's trying to get them out of the way he wants some time with Rachel get out of the way here but they're all like no we gotta wait because the stone is there right so what would happen is the stone is over the well they kind of wait for all the people in that community to come together and open up and and it'd be a communal effort to roll that stone away from the well and they would have a time where all the animals would gather and feed at once and not kind of leave the stone off the well for an extended period of time so that the water wouldn't get contaminated so they're kind of waiting and Jacob's like all right man it's time to impress and so he goes up it's usually a communal affair to remove that stone Jacob thinks I'm going to flex my pecs a little bit here now. I'm going to up my game. I'm going to show Rachel what I'm made of here. And he moves that stone away for Rachel as she comes with the flocks now. And he begins to just kind of look to, to woo her here in a sense. Look at verse 11. And I mean, he's not only moving the stone, but he's pulling out all the moves now on Rachel. It says in verse 11, then Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's relative and that he was Rebekah's son. So she ran and told her father. Then it came to pass when Laban heard the report about Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. So he told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him for a month. So I love Jacob here. This guy is just filled with with emotion and elation in a sense. He removes the stone and, and now he moves in for a kiss. It's been said that a boy becomes a man when he goes in to steal a kiss rather than looking to steal second base here. And that's what Jacob is doing. He's like, I'm no longer playing games here. I'm ready to move in for the kiss. It's interesting that this is the only place in the Bible where we read of a man kissing someone that is not their wife or their mother. Now, of course, Rachel is gonna become his wife but let's not use this as a proof text to start randomly kissing somebody out of the blue here, okay? Let's not say, oh, Jacob did it, no. Interesting, after Jacob kisses Rachel, <laughs> he weeps, all right? Not the kind of reaction that I'm sure a lot of you women are looking for when your husband or your man is looking to give you a kiss. Men, not a, advisable to sit there and weep after kissing your bride. That's not an acceptable thing, really. But what Jacob is doing here is it's not weeping like, oh man, I've just made a blunder, I've made a mistake here. This is Jacob just, again, so filled with emotion and, and thankfulness ultimately at all that God has done in his life, how God has led him so providentially right to this place at just the right time here now. And he's just filled with joy ultimately at what God has done. Remember what, what God said to Jacob in, in chapter 28, verse 20, 
Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I'm going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace then the Lord shall be my God. That was Jacob saying basically, all right, God, if you're the God that's going to do this, then I'm yours. That was Jacob making that commitment. And, and God has been faithful in leading Jacob, no doubt. So after Rachel now goes and tells her father Laban about this whole interaction, I've just met Jacob, he's our relative, he kissed me. And so Laban comes out and gets in on the action and kisses Jacob too. It's kind of like a family affair right now at this point. But this is, of course, in keeping with the customs of the day and especially in that part of the world here. So it says in verse 15, Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you're my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what should your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. Now Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter, to, to marry your daughter Rachel. And Laban said, well, it's better that I give her to you than that I should give her to another man. Stay with me then. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love that he had for her. Man, that is just so sweet, isn't it? Love it. Now, this is a very interesting account because Jacob has been staying with Uncle Laban here for a month, and now Laban is offering Jacob some compensation for his service. No doubt Jacob's been busy. He's been helping out around the place here. And Jacob's like, what, what do I owe you here? What, what can I give you? And, and Jacob's, this is Jacob's window now for this bride as he's kind of been on this journey to, to seek here. And so before we get into his request, we get a little bit of a narrative there between two more siblings in this whole redemptive story that we see through the Bible. It's again a conflict that's arising between two siblings that's going to provide Jacob with a little dose of his own medicine. You see, it says that Leah was delicate of eyes. That could mean that she had a, a health issue in her eyes. The term delicate is better translated as weak. So again, it could be a vision impairment or a lazy eye. Maybe she looked a little cross-eyed here. And Jacob's looking at Leah going, mm, I don't know about this girl here. This is not the one for me here. It could mean that it, it, it implied that she was weak of eyes or of sore eyes. It could also be implied that she was the cause of sore eyes. <laughs> that when he looked at Leah, you're like, man, I got to look away because that's kind of painful here to see this girl, Leah. I don't know if I'm reading into the text here a little too much here, but this is the idea that Leah was one that was kind of like being rejected and shunned, as we'll kind of get the idea as we move along here. But in contrast to Rachel, Leah, lazy-eyed Leah, sore-eyed Leah, Rachel is beautiful. She's beautiful of form and appearance. And you can imagine that there was a bit of jealousy and rivalry in the home growing up. Not unlike Jacob and Esau have themselves encountered, right? So Jacob, he's not too keen on sore-eyed Leah here, but he's got googly eyes for Rachel. So Jacob names his price. He says to Laban, listen, I'll give you seven years of service for her hand in marriage. Laban accepts, and those seven years, it says, seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. Now that is just so sweet. 
and beautiful, isn't it? And that's the way it should be for those that are walking in true love. It's been said that true love waits. Listen, that is very biblical. It tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 to 7, that love suffers long and is kind. It does not envy. It does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It does not provoke things no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. Notice this. It bears all things. It's patient, long-suffering. It believes all things. It's hope all things. It endures all things. And, and when I think of stories I've heard of young men pressuring their girlfriends to up the ante in their relationships and give excuses like, if it's love, it can't be wrong. Makes me want to give them a big old righteous uppercut, you know. In love, of course, right? But this is not the way it should be. Love does not pressure. Love does not look to kind of advance selfishly here. Love is patient. It doesn't demand. It's not, it's not self-serving. This is the same way that we should be living for the Lord. As we can get a little restless at times, thinking, Jesus, hey, when are you returning? Can you just come already? I'm ready. Let's go, Jesus. And we can want to push and and some can peter out in their devotion to the Lord, thinking, man, this is taking a little bit longer than I anticipated. But as we're growing in our love for Him, our, our devotion should increase. Our service for the Lord should be filled with joy. Regardless of when we'll get to be with Him, our love for Him should keep us going day by day with anticipation and excitement for His return. And when we see Him and enter into eternity, we're certainly going to be saying, that time on earth, it seemed only a few days. That was just a blip on the radar. That was just a short time in comparison to what we have now in and through Jesus, seeing him face to face. Guys, love holds on. Love bears all things. Love is patient. And I pray that we're growing in our love for Jesus and that we're not getting restless or impatient, but continuing on knowing that when we finally are with him, it will be only like a few days that we had to wait. But now we see that the plot thickens. It says in verse 21, Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled that I may go in to her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. Now it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah his daughter and brought her to Jacob and he went into her. And Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid. So it came to pass in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, what is this you've done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? Verse 26. And Laban said, it must not be done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill her week, and we'll give you this one also for the service, which you will serve with me still another seven years. So Laban does a little switcheroonie on the wedding night. This is exactly what Jacob did with his father Isaac, isn't it? Puts on, puts on Esau's clothing, comes to Isaac pretending he's Esau. Jacob is getting a little lesson in you reap what you sow at this moment. Now you might wonder how this happened without Jacob knowing. Well, a wedding typically lasted a whole week. And this was a feast where they would be eating lots of food, the wine would be flowing very liberally. Now that night, the bride would be presented to the groom where they would consummate the marriage relationship. So at this point, it's dark. Notice Laban's been holding off, waiting, right? 
And so it's very dark. They don't have, you know, patio lanterns out there. It's very dark right now. Leah is probably wearing a veil, if not some of Rachel's clothing. And Jacob is probably a little sauced at the time of this night here when he's presented to this woman. So he goes in to lie down with ravishing Rachel and he wakes up next to lazy eye Leah. Talk about a shocker right now. But in an interesting way, guys, this is what most of us experience in marriage. The perfect, beautiful creature that we agree to marry is often the same person, or isn't often the same person we find ourselves married to five, 10, 20 years, or five, 10, 20 days after marriage. What we fail to realize is like Jacob, we end up marrying two very different people. See, we're attracted to Rachel. We're saying yes on the altar to Rachel. This is who we're honeymooning with, but then we find out there's another side to our spouse that we didn't quite see before. It was kept behind the veil, wasn't it? We roll over one day and see old Leah lying there. We ask, who are you? What happened? You see, marriage is all about learning to love unconditionally, learning to give rather than take. It's learning to overlook faults and lazy eyes and be committed for love's sake. Love isn't a feeling. Long after the beauty fades and the emotions calm, ultimately we're all a bunch of Leah's, warts and all, because we're all flawed sinners. Nobody's marrying a perfect Rachel. We may have been drunk on love at one time, but love chooses to be devoted to our spouse. But here's the great thing. When we live our lives God's way and we treat each other as we are scripturally, love is going to grow and flourish in your relationships. I'm so glad that Jesus chose to make us the bride of Christ. We definitely weren't in that Rachel category, but his love for us overlooked our faults, and he's the one that comes and he makes us worthy out of his love for us. So Jacob is a little bothered that he got hoodwinked like this. I wonder if he saw the irony in his words that he spoke to Laban when he said, why then have you deceived me? This is pretty much the same thing that Jacob did with his father Isaac and to his brother Esau. It's interesting, isn't it, how irate we can be at the sins that we see in others and fail to see those same things in our own lives. Oh, they stand out very loud and clear when we look at other people and we can spot, oh man, there's some faults right there and fail to see those same things in our own lives. Jacob is learning that when we scheme to bring about our own plans apart from God's plans, we're going to reap the repercussions of that. Jacob is getting schooled in this from a fellow conniver in Laban. It says in Galatians 6, verse 7, 8, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. So Jacob saying in verse 25, Why then have you deceived me? Is getting a little dose of his own medicine. The deceiver has been deceived. Verse 28 goes on to say, Then Jacob did so, and he fulfilled her week. So he fulfilled that obligation of Leah for that week, as Laban had asked. So he gave him his daughter Rachel, his wife also. And Laban gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as a maid. Then Jacob also went into Rachel, and he also loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served with Laban still another seven years. So... Jacob fulfills that 
week to Leah, as was the custom, and then he's given Rachel as a wife for another seven years of service. This kind of reminds me of the time an Italian man was about to get married in Rome and a big, heavy fog rolled in. He couldn't see what was going on and he ended up marrying two women. When he was asked to explain about this mistake, he simply replied, it was a big mist. It was a, a big mist. Now, a lot of people like to say the Bible supports bigamy or polygamy. Listen, though it happened in the Bible, the Bible never advocates it. It was never God's ideal for people to be married to multiple people. And I want to show you something wonderful here. We read that Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah, but it's Leah that Jacob enjoyed a longer life with. Rachel died early in childbirth, it'll tell us in Genesis 35, verse 16. You see, Jacob and Leah enjoyed growing old together. And something changed with Jacob. His heart changed. He grew to love Leah. You see, at the end of his life, when Jacob was about to die, guess where he requested to be buried? Next to Leah. Genesis chapter 49, verse 31. You'd think he'd want his final resting place, at least until the resurrection. You'd think his final resting place, he'd request to be next to Rachel, the woman he loved. But it was next to Leah that Jacob was buried. It's quite possible that Leah was the woman for Jacob all along. But Jacob was still being governed by the flesh more than he was of the spirit. He went after the fox, you know, the fox in sheep's clothing, you could say. She was a shepherdess, and she was the one that caught Jacob's heart or flesh, in a sense. It's interesting, as we'll see, that Leah, though, is the one that's going to bear Judah. And Judah would be the tribe where the Messiah would come out of. That's pretty huge. See, it's easy to make wrong decisions when we're letting our flesh be the guide rather than the spirit. And we often find that those mistakes can have lasting consequences. Jacob learned this the hard way by trying to balance things out between two women who continued to feud. Now we're going to see that his home was not a very peaceful one. We read on in verse 31. As we see the baby battle ensuing, when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, guess what God did? He opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said, the Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. Verse 33, then she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I'm unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, Now I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she stopped bearing. It's an interesting progression that we see here. Leah is trying to get something from her husband that she's really only going to find and be satisfied in through the Lord God. She's looking for love. Though Leah is doing nothing wrong here, sadly a lot of people follow this route of giving and exploiting themselves in exchange for acceptance and love. 
The thing people need to understand is that others cannot give us what our soul truly craves. And what our soul truly craves is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And when we find Christ to come in and be our life, we find that he fills all those voids. He fills all those hurts, all those longings, all those desires. It's ultimately found in Jesus. We all like to highlight that line in that movie that shall not be named, but you complete me. And we think when I find the right person, that person's going to ultimately fill all those things that I need. Listen, that person is a flawed sinner as we've already seen. You're two imperfect sinners coming together. And guess what? It's not often fireworks romantically that are going off. It's fireworks and explosion and war that's oftentimes going on until you learn to recognize that you're not seeking the right person. You're seeking simply to be the right person in your relationship as you seek to carry out what God has instructed us to be as husbands and wives. And no matter what your spouse is doing, what we're called to do is be that right person, be that godly person in the home, and ultimately find what we are craving and desiring, find that in Jesus Christ. And Leah is looking for this in the wrong places. So Leah's first four sons reveal this progression. She thinks with Reuben's birth, Jacob will suddenly be all hers. It's like she's saying, look, Jacob, we've got a son. I'm the one for you. I'm the one producing. Come on, let's just stay together here, right? But we see things didn't change. Simeon then is born, and Leah's seen this as the Lord has heard her groaning that she's still not loved, so another son will change all that. Simeon means heard or hearing. She's thinking, finally, my my concerns, my cries have been answered, but still no change. Then Levi is born, and Leah is given up on the love thing, and it's just hoping that Jacob will be somewhat more attached to her. And that's what the name Levi means, attached or joined. She's thinking, listen, Jacob, at this point, I'm not looking for love. I'm just looking for company. I'm just hoping that you'll be a little bit more attached to me and with me now. And then Judah is born. And it seems that her attitude is beginning to change. Jacob hasn't changed, but Leah can't control that or manipulate that now. We need to be the agents of change in our relationships. We need to be the ones that say, I'm going to change in how I'm thinking and how I'm living here. Instead of her focus being on what Jacob isn't doing, her focus is now on what she can be doing. And that is to simply live a life of devotion and praise to God. That's what Judah means. It means praise. Her attention now is beginning to shift away from Jacob to God. Say, I'm going to praise the Lord now. I'm going to seek him. That's the blessed life. And Leah could not have imagined the blessing that was indeed hers. If Leah could have seen down the generations, she would have been astonished at how blessed she was because her last two sons, Levi and Judah, would respectively father the priestly and the kingly tribes of Israel. Leah's blood would flow in the veins of Moses and Aaron and David and Christ, the Messiah. Leah certainly was a blessed woman 
even if she didn't realize it. Here's the children that Jacob is going to father from these four different women. Here's who they are and what their names ultimately mean as it's kind of laid out in our, in our text here that we're going through tonight. And so I'll kind of leave that up for a little bit as we go through these names. So you can reference that here for you. It says in verse 1 of chapter 30, Now when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, Give me children or else I die. And Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel, and he said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? So she said, Here's my maid, Billa. Go into her, and she will bear a child on my knees, that I also may have children by her. Then she gave him Bilha, her maid, as wife, and Jacob went into her. So, quite a happy home that we're finding Jacob and Leah and Rachel in, right? Lots of peace here, right? Not so much Rachel is the loved one, yet she's filled with envy at her sister because she's the one having kids. And what's crazy is Leah would have loved to have had what Rachel had with Jacob, but Rachel longed to have what Leah was having with Jacob. See, when we're comparing ourselves to others or to other things, we're going to quickly become unsatisfied or unsettled. But when we learn to simply be content in the Lord, we're going to be at peace. Peace is very much absent from this family unit at this time. And Jacob understood that being pregnant was not <laughs> just his doing. This is the Lord's doing. Notice what he says there in verse 2. Am I in the place of God? Am I the one that can control whether or not you're going to have children? Am I in the place of God? See, Jacob understood something that we have to understand is that God's the very provider of life. And when we begin to mess with life in the womb, we're stepping into the role of God. That's not our place. This is a life that God gives and he imparts, and that starts right there in the womb. So Rachel pitches an idea that we've seen elsewhere. No doubt Rachel has heard the stories of Abraham and Hagar, apparently didn't read into the outcome of that long enough here to really see maybe this isn't a good idea but she moves in and says jacob take my servant take my maid billa and you have a child with her certainly this was not an uncommon thing in this day but still again wasn't uh something that god was advocating so jacob goes into billa rachel's maid and now the baby battle is really taking off look at verse five and Billah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, Ah, God has judged my case. And he's also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore she called his name Dan. And Rachel's maid Billah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, With great wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister, and indeed I have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. Rachel begins to look at the situation and see that God has judged things ruling in her favor now by giving her a son. So she names him Dan, which means judge. God has judged. And, and God has sided on my behalf in giving me a child is what she's saying, even though it's only through her maid, Billah. And then Jacob, I don't know why, 
But he goes back to Bilah and he has another son with her, Naphtali, meaning wrestling. Rachel is implying that it's been a real struggle. She's been complete or competing against her sister for the attention and the affection of Jacob. But now that she has a couple of children, she's feeling like she's kind of prevailing a little bit, right? But hold that thought. Verse 9. When Leah saw that she had stopped bearing, she took Zilpah, her maid. No doubt she's probably seen what Rachel's doing. I was like, oh, that's how we're going to play the game now. Okay, well, I've got a maid too. Let's see how that works for you here. And so she gets her maid, Zilpah, and now she bears a child with Jacob. Verse 11, then Leah said, a troop comes. So she called his name Gad, and Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, I'm happy for the daughters will call me blessed. So she called his name Asher. So Leah follows suit, gives her maid to Jacob, and she's looking to up the ante more so to stick it to Auntie Rachel here now at this point. So Zilpah now has a child for Leah. She names him Gad, meaning a troop. It's as though, it's as though Leah is stating that she's going to have an army by the time this is all said and done, and Rachel will not be able to advance against them. Like She's, she's going to have the numbers on her side. Another child comes through Zilpha, and, and his name is, is Asher, meaning happy. Truly, it's a happy time as Leah's counting six to two right now in favor of Leah on this baby battlefront right now. Six to two, it's happy times. Let's name our last child Asher here. Very interesting. Verse 14 goes on to say, Now Reuben went in the days of wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field. And brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, Is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, Therefore he will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came out of the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come in to me, for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. And he lay with her that night. And God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my wages because I have given my maid to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. Verse 19, then Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterward, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. So Reuben goes out and finds some mandrakes. Now you may be wondering, what in the world are mandrakes? Well, the mandrake is a perennial Mediterranean plant that bears bluish flowers in winter and yellowish plum-sized fruit in summer. In ancient times, mandrakes were famed for arousing sexual desire and for helping barren women to conceive. They saw this as a bit of a fertility drug. They called them love apples, all right? Solomon talks about them there in Solomon 7, or Song of Solomon chapter 7, verse 13. So with this discovery of mandrakes that Rachel's like, oh, that's kind of exactly what I need here. Rachel thought this was her ticket to productivity, but of course, Leah wasn't about to hand them over and help her sister Rachel out, put herself in an unfavorable position. So Rachel, who seems to have some control as to who Jacob is spending time with, barters now to give Leah time with Jacob in return for these mandrakes. It seems like Rachel is kind of calling the shots. Leah seems like she's been put out, no longer has had access with Jacob. 
Now, this is just getting more and more twisted. This is like soap opera material here for us, isn't it? For those of you that watch soap operas, please don't let me know who that is, but hopefully not many of you. But this is getting into some real crazy stuff here. Jacob at this time is just kind of being treated like a piece of property. And weirdly, he really doesn't seem to mind. It's like, oh, you've purchased my time now? Okay. He goes in to be a Leah that night. He's just like, where am I going tonight? Okay, what's happening? If I were Jacob, I'd be like, I'm not coming in from the field tonight. I'm like staying out here. It's just trouble every time I go home. These ladies are just driving me crazy. I'm not getting any sleep with these four women around here, right? But Jacob just keeps kind of going along with it here now. What's interesting is it's Leah now, after Rachel takes the mandrakes, the supposedly fertility drug, it's Leah that has more kids. Rachel's going to be barren for another few years. So much for them, love apples. Leah gives birth to Issachar, whose name means wages. Now this costs something, but again, it shouldn't have had to. It reminds us how the wages of sin is death. Sin is costly. Don't put yourself under the wage of something that is not going to be good or healthy. Leah then gave birth to Zebulun, whose name means dwelling. Leah thought with six kids, and she set up a pretty good heritage for Jacob. Surely he's going to come and settle down with her and dwell with her now. This is Leah's thoughts. Six kids. Man, this is his posterity. Surely Jacob is going to find like this is truly his home, and he's going to dwell here. So she names him Zebulun. But notice now in verse 22. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. So she called his name Joseph and said, the Lord shall add to me another son. Finally, Rachel has a child. Tells us that this came about when God remembered her. Now, please keep in mind, whenever we see that term, God remembered, it's not that God forgot. It's not that God's sitting there saying, oh, yeah, Rachel, my goodness. Kind of forgot about you. I've been so focused on, you know, Leah and her children and, and Zilpah and, and Bill. I forgot all about you. This is not God forgetting. God cannot forget. And God doesn't overlook. God sees all. This is a term that means that God now began to move in the life of Rachel. God now began to intervene in the life of Rachel, and he gives her a child. We never need to think that God has forgotten us and that we must take matters in our own hands. That's what happens oftentimes, isn't it? Where we think, God, where are you? How many people have you heard think and wonder, I think God has just forgotten about me. I think God is just absent from me. God doesn't seem to be intervening or moving in my life. And yet, we must trust him patiently and allow him to bring about his will in his way, which is always going to be perfect. It's always going to be done in perfect timing. When we think that God is absent or neglecting or forgetting, we must keep in mind that God is working out his purposes all through it, and his timing and his ways are always perfect. We mess things up when we begin to say, I guess God needs my help. I guess I better take matters in my own hands because things aren't moving along the way that I want them to move along. God isn't neglecting. God isn't forgetting. God is at work, and we must let him do the work, and we must patiently wait upon him. Wenham said this, grace 
not drugs, had met her need. It was in this unhappiest of biblical marriages that the 12 forefathers of the Israelite tribes were born. For Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and so on are the names of the tribes of Israel. The promises to Abraham had taken an important step near fulfillment with the birth of these boys. Once again, it is on divine mercy, not human effort, that the hope of the world's salvation rests. Well, moving into verse 25, we look at a little scene now going down between Jacob and Laban. Laban has been kind of pulling the wool over Jacob's eyes for a little bit. Now it's Jacob's turn to enact a little bit of revenge as he outwits Laban here. It says in verse 25, And it came to pass, when Rachel had born Joseph, that Jacob said to Laban, Send me away, that I may go to my own place and to my country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, and let me go for you. Know my service, which I have done for you. And Laban said to him, Please stay, if I found favor in your eyes, for I have learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. Verse 28. Then he said, Name me your wages, and I'll give it. So Jacob said to him, You know how I have served you and how your livestock have been with me? For what you had before I came was little, and it has increased to a great amount. The Lord has blessed you since my coming, and now when shall I also provide for my own house? Verse 31. So he said, Laban said, What shall I give you? And Jacob said, You shall not give me anything if if you'll do this thing for me. I will again feed and keep your flocks, Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from there all the speckled and spotted sheep and all the brown ones among the lambs and the the spotted and speckled among the goats. And these shall be my wages. Verse 33. So my righteousness will answer for me in time to come when the subject of my wages comes before you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and brown among the lambs will be considered stolen if it is with me. And Laban said, Oh, that it were according to your word. So he removed that day the male goats that were speckled and spotted, all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, every one that had some white in it, and all the brown ones among the lambs, and gave them into the hand of his sons. Then he put three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flocks. So here's Jacob. He's, he's desiring to return home. This has been a long adventure. This is not the way that it was supposed to go down, at least in his mind. He was to move away for a time, find a bride, and move back. But it's been 14 years that he's been with Laban in service. 14 years. And in an interesting confession, Laban says, don't go, for I know God has blessed me because of you. I know God has blessed me because of you. See, Laban is not a believer. We'll see that very clearly in the next chapter, but we won't get into that tonight, don't worry. But Laban recognizes something here. God is with Jacob. And there is a blessing that is flowing from him. And a blessing that Laban is receiving as a result. Grandkids have increased. Flocks and herds have increased. Laban has seen the fruitfulness that God brings to a life. Listen, this is the same opportunity that you and I have with the Labans in our lives. You might be working for a boss that isn't very fun to work for. But you get to be an extension of God's blessing there in that workplace. You get to live a life that reflects the goodness of God. Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. 
You might have a ruthless boss. But guess what? Every bit of work that you do, you're ultimately doing it under the Lord. And it's work that's done under the Lord that God's going to bless. And you have an opportunity to be a blessing in that workplace to the point where, like Laban here, he begins to be drawn to the one that we serve. How often I've heard how, and, and it should be this way, how secular employers love to hire Christians because, you know, these are people typically that we can trust, that we should be able to trust. They're not going to try to cheat me. They're going to put in a, a, a full day's effort. And whether your employer is a believer or not, we begin to have that opportunity to be a witness of just our heart for the Lord and the goodness of God to the point where oftentimes people will be drawn to the God that we are serving. Honor God in all that you do, even before the Labans in your life, so that they can see how good God is. So as Laban tries to coax Jacob to stay now even longer, Jacob has one more plan to receive some of this compensation for his service. He asked that all the speckled and spotted sheep and the brown lambs be removed from Laban's flocks along with the spotted and speckled goats. See, to this day in the Middle East, sheep are primarily white and goats are predominantly brown or black. There's an occasional spotted or multicolored sheep or goat, but the, co- the solid color gene being dominant, solid colored sheep and goats are the ones that are most highly valued. Laban listened to this offer and thought, man, Jacob must have been out in the sun too long because this is a deal that really favors me. He's like, Jacob, you want all those spotted and speckled ones? Absolutely. Take them. They're yours. And, and, and notice Laban is saying, oh, that it were according to your word. Oh, let it be so. This is a win-win for me. But Laban pulls a fast one on Jacob. And what does Laban do? He removes all the spotted and speckled livestock and he sends them to his son's care and he places a three days journey between his sons and the spotted speckled livestock so they won't reproduce more spotted speckled livestock for Jacob. And he gives Jacob the rest of the livestock that are the solid colored ones, the ones that Jacob couldn't have. But when Jacob gets to Laban's flocks, all he sees are these solid colored ones. That's a problem. It's a problem but not when God is with you. Notice what we read here in verse 37. Now Jacob took for himself rods of green poplar and of the almond and chestnut trees, peeled white strips in them and exposed the white which was in the rods. And the rods which he had peeled, he set before the flocks in the gutters in the watering troughs where the flocks came to drink so that they should conceive when they came to drink. So the flocks conceived before the rods and the flocks, notice this, brought forth streaked, speckled, and spotted. Verse 40, Then Jacob separated the lambs and made the flocks face toward the streaked and all the brown in the flock of Laban. But he put his own flocks by themselves and did not put them with Laban's flock. And it came to pass, whenever the stronger livestock conceived, that Jacob placed the rods before the eyes of the livestock in the gutters, that they might conceive among the rods. But when the flocks were feeble... He did not put them in, so the feebler were Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus, the man became exceedingly prosperous, and he had large flocks, female and male servants, and camels and donkeys. Now, this seems like an odd thing that Jacob is doing. Many believe it was 
a widely held superstition that what the animals saw just before mating would influence their offspring. So many believe Jacob's thinking is like, I'm going to take these branches and I'm going to put some stripes in them. I'm going to place them in the trough so that when they're drinking and feeding and when they're about to mate, that's a, the, the visual that they're going to have. And it's going to influence now the offspring in coming out speckled, striped, spotted, whatever it might be. Now, this is kind of similar to thinking that the, the mandrakes would help in fertility. It was superstition. There's no scientific basis for this. In Genesis chapter 31, verse 9 to 12, Jacob reveals ultimately the source of this here, that this was a work of God. If you want to look at that with me, or Genesis 31, verse 9, he says, so God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. And it happened at the time when the flocks conceived that I lifted my eyes and saw in a dream. And behold, the rams which leaped upon the flocks were streaked, speckled, and gray spotted. And then the angel of God spoke to me in a dream, saying, Jacob. And I said, Here I am. And he said, Lift your eyes now and see. All the rams which leap on the flocks are streaked, speckled, and gray spotted. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. What Jacob is revealing here is ultimately God's the one that provided for this. Nobody's really sure what Jacob had in mind with the, the branches that were striped, putting him in the trough. If this was something that he just kind of thought would have some sort of influence or not. But this incident simply reveals that Jacob's blessings came about by the grace of God. And this is what Jacob reveals in chapter 31. This is all simply by the grace of God. This is not through my own scheming. It was God that provided. Jacob's beginning to learn that it's not through his scheming that's going to get him ahead. It's through trusting in God. It's through trusting in a God that loves him and is with him, as he's already revealed in chapter 28. That God is with him, and he's guiding, and he's providing for Jacob. How we need to learn more and more to rely on the God who loves us more than we rely on our own human ingenuity. It's so easy to get in that place where we think we've got to act for ourselves. But God knows best. And God loves us more than we know and realize. And God is the one that's acting on our behalf, providing. It's all by His grace rather than our scheming that we're going to get ahead in life that we're going to continue to be able to move forward in all that God has for us. Jacob is beginning to learn this lesson in a very valuable way. So God's taken him through all this. He's led him, but he's brought him through all this to teach Jacob some important things. And I pray that we, by Jacob's example, learn some of these important lessons for our own lives as well here. All right? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that we can take this time here tonight to come together, to be together and to be with you, and to spend time in your word as we learn and grow, and we learn these great lessons from those that have gone before us. And we thank you for a guy like Jacob, who we can oftentimes, I'm sure, relate to. And yet, God, he's the man that you chose, that you chose to be one of the patriarchs. It's amazing that you take a guy like Jacob, and yet it gives us hope. Lord, that you're not done with us and you have great things in store for us as you work in us and you work through us. And Lord, may we continue to learn those lessons of yielding and trusting you and, and just seeking to allow you 
by your grace and mercy, to work out your purposes in and through us. So lead us on here tonight, we ask in your name, Jesus. Amen.